I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Melissa Lee, and today for Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, tech earnings, deal drama, and what it all means for stocks with just one week to go until the next Fed decision. Joining us now to break it all down, Full House here at the NYSE. Josh Brown, Terry Firestone, Joe Terranova, and Jenny Harrington. We kick things off with our chart of the day. That would be Microsoft ripping higher on strong earnings and a bullish outlook on AI. The gains holding despite a major blow to its deal to buy Activision Blizzard. We'll have more on that in just moments, but first let's deal with Microsoft because those shares are up nearly 8.5% at this hour. It feels like the street wants to re-rate Microsoft. Does it deserve that, Carrie? Yes, Melissa, it does. (laughs) You know, this is a sigh of relief to start with, but also it was a better number than people were looking for. It was slightly better on the revenue and better on the cost side, and they did some disciplined uh, margin improvement. The numbers, uh, I think, were comforting. They generate a lot of free cash flow. AI is important for them, but that's not what they dwelled on on the call. So if Microsoft can continue during a period of time of softness in in the software business and show numbers that are better than expectations, I think that's good for the market. And it's a 6% weight in the S&P, and that means a lot. Yeah. Joe? I think you have to have confidence that Azure growth is going to reaccelerate. Generative AI, strong momentum there. Uh, collectively, when you think about technology as a sector, what does that do to global GDP? Right, that captures more of the overall market share gain for technology. It's somewhere between five and ten percent of GDP now. That takes it probably up to ten to fifteen percent. So, you know, Microsoft, it's 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 never been about a deterioration in fundamentals. What it was about at the end of 2022 was falling victim to the tax loss selling that you saw and the valuation reset for a lot of the mega caps. Uh, this is just a reaffirmation of a very strong fundamental company that focuses on the cloud. And it's difficult to find a triple cloud stack like they have when you think about applications, platforms, and infrastructure. And I think that's all being realized in the earnings report and the reaction to it this morning. Joe mentioned a reacceleration in Azure growth, Jenny. Do you think that that we need to have a reacceleration, or do we just need sort of stability and, and sort of stable growth here? Because it, bears will say that in an environment where we are entering a possible recession, be it mild or you know, shallow, whatever you want to call it, we've got layoffs coming still down the pike, but that's not a place where we're going to see a reacceleration per se. I think I, the, the problem for me with Microsoft, right, and I don't think I'm the one that you should listen to on it because I'm wrong. I've been wrong the whole time and not owning it. But the problem with me, for me, is that it trades at 27 times next year's earnings. So when Joe says they need a reacceleration, like they need a reacceleration everywhere because they need significantly strong enough earnings growth, I think, to support such a big multiple. And I don't know where, you know, where else are they going to get it from? I think, so I think, yeah, they do need it. I think this is, I think this is something where, you know, ask everyone else on the panel. One of the things I've been struggling with a lot is the idea of having an edge, right? Kerry has an edge in Microsoft. You guys have an edge in this. I don't. I look for companies with really high free cash flow yields that are fairly valued. So I look at Microsoft and all I do is say, hey, I've missed it. I've missed it. I've been wrong. I mean, the Ford P is even higher with the gain today. It's it's 30 or so. <laughs> right. but, I mean, but, but that aside, is that the right number? Do we look at that number and say, you know, the five-year average forward PE is 35? 
So should we be concerned or is this do we have to just sort of say, you know what, we put that five year average number aside because that was done in an environment where it was zero percent rates. And so there's no comparison. And so 27 is too high in this environment, Josh. What do you think? So it's tricky because this is the best day for a Microsoft stock individual day. You have to go back to November 11th of 2022. And that's um, important to point out because that was really coming off of the lows for most of the giant tech stocks. This is not that. This is not a rebound from something. The stock was already going into the print near highs. This is something else entirely. Now, I, my personal opinion, the stakes here have been ratcheted up to the point where it's going to be really hard for Microsoft to keep surprising to the upside. To Jenny's point, uh, this is a stock that's now selling at a 20 multiple on EV to EBITDA. Uh, it's a 33 multiple on enterprise value to free cash flow. And yes, you could point out that that is in the range of the three-year median, uh, but it is above uh, the five and 10-year. And there's no way to look at the stock and say it's not priced, I don't want to say for perfection, but for just continued upside beats. And can they really deliver that every quarter this year? So if you're somebody that's on the sidelines, you're not in Microsoft, you're looking for the opportunity, I have to be honest, I don't think today is the day. Uh, I think there will be better opportunities to buy this stock as the year progresses. However, you do have to tip your hat to the people that were ahead of the curve on this, that have been in the stock. I am not one of them. I own it, I guess, through the triple Qs. Um, but I am one of those people on the dock waving as, as, it, as it goes away. Um, there are a lot of other tech stocks that look great right now. Uh, the SMH is having a great day. Anything that has to do with AI is going up a lot today based on Microsoft and Alphabet's comments. But this is really a spectacular move for a very large market cap company. We go back, though, to the idea of it being re-rated, and maybe it's because, AI, I mean, Microsoft said that AI services will be a 1% growth to Azure revenue growth. I mean, Kerry, are we, are we factoring that in, not to mention the efficiencies that Microsoft could benefit, could derive from just implementing AI within its corporation? So we're looking at obviously a company that's on the verge of an acceleration mm -hmm. and the bulls would say, yes, Microsoft is the way to play AI safely because you have a lot of other earnings going on underneath it. And the bears would say, hey, wait a minute, it's too expensive. Why would you pay so much? And it's not a pure play in AI and that's 10 years off or however many years off. I would say, take a look at the chart. I mean, this stock has climbed a wall of worry. This stock is, look, it's like the S&P or like the NASDAQ. It bottomed at the end of 2022, and it, it's really had a beautiful move higher if you're a technician because it's had, you know, kind of the higher lows and higher highs, and we're on a little spike here. So I understand people being reticent to stepping up and buying it here. I mean, we bought some a few months ago, more. I mean, it's it's a big position. Almost no one is overweight Microsoft. I tell you something, I think yeah. you just said, I think you just said something really important. We're going to have a full-blown AI bubble this year. Like, there's no doubt about it. In the second half, as the IPO calendar comes back, you're going to see all sorts of things going public that are using the word AI, if not in the name of the company, then somewhere just below on, on the S1. And the, the, the conversation, if you're, if you're a, a large cap growth manager, 
or you're, you're just somebody that's constantly getting questions from people. How are you playing AI? What's the opportunity? You said Microsoft is the safe way. Yeah. At 30 times earnings, I don't know how safe, but like that is absolutely what's going on here with this stock, is that it is becoming the way that active managers can say, hey, we're playing AI, but they're not taking ridiculous risks. They're not buying $4 billion market cap companies or SPACs that are going to buy AI mm-hmm. uh, targets. And that I, that's a process or, or, that will frustrate people that are solely uh, focused on I, valuation. I think Sundar Pichai would say, hey, I'm here, guys. He I'm wants, here. He wants You're it. You're forgetting right, about me it. because yeah. I am an AI play as well, yeah. Jenny, and I have a lower valuation. Right. But then you get into where the competition comes from. What Josh said, which is really important, I just want to back up on that, is you said, I guess, but it's got 30 times earnings. It's a safer play because, well, 30 times earnings, but it's got it's not, earnings. It's lower than that. It's not 30 Okay, okay, earnings. but whatever. The point is, Microsoft has earnings. I think with, with Alphabet, then where you get into it is, okay, but their market share is so huge, right? How can they sustain that market share? And whether, whether it ends up being reality or not, the perception is, is that with Alphabet, there's huge there's huge risk to like to AI. There's huge risk from AI corroding, eroding the leadership in that market share that they have. So they can say, it's "Hey, just I'm here. in search, Jenny. It's not that simple. The Google Cloud actually is is probably going to outgrow the Microsoft Cloud because the Microsoft Cloud is already it's already there. Yeah. The Google Cloud is not there. So in search alone, you could say there's downside risk if being enabled by OpenAI is really going to become a thing. The data does not suggest that there's any sort of like imminent Bing renaissance happening. Mm-hmm. I know Microsoft wants to present that as being the case. It's not quite that way. I think Microsoft has an advantage, though, in the build out of the public cloud. I, th- mm-hmm. I think they have that to their advantage. I also think, listen, this is a very thoughtful, reasonable conversation asking questions why, right? Doing the fundamental analysis. A lot of time the market doesn't ask why, the market asks what. And if you ask the question what, Microsoft is still 15% below its all-time high from November of 2021. It's a stock that coming into 2023 had a significant positioning under allocation uh, to levels that we had not witnessed in the last 12 years. And you've seen the rebuilding of those positions once again. And it's kind of an overall climate where it lends itself to doing so, where you're seeing growth come back as a strategy and the fall off in yield. So I, I think you have to also include the what in the conversation, the debate, along with the why, which I agree with everything that's being said when you look at the fundamentals questioning the, the valuation here. But behind that, there is the element of momentum, there is the element of price, and that's signaling further upside are we do. Are we going to do alphabet in, in we're, this we're, I'm, I'm, I was trying to get, that's why I mentioned Sundar Pichai. Okay, I'll spare you the segue. transition. So I'm dying to talk about this. I'm, so I'm in, I'm, in Google, I'm in Google, and the earnings reaction today sucks. Uh, I actually think if, that, if Microsoft had not reported, yeah, maybe would Alphabet would, be higher? It's possible. Even? It's a great point. It's possible. It's a good point. Um, but whatever. Like, it, it is what it is. And so now, here's the situation. You basically have a CEO who soft-pedaled on AI. He thought he was doing the right thing. He had all these, like, chief ethics officers working. He could fire those people immediately because Microsoft doesn't care. So now, so, so now they have to catch up. But it, catch up is a, a little bit of a misnomer. Uh, they bought DeepMind. They built Google Brain. These things have existed for years and years and years. They just didn't get serious about incorporating those tools into the whole suite of Google Office, Google Search, 
uh, Gmail, all of these incredible products with billions of users. That is what's going to have to happen in the second half of the year and not just happen on the ground. They're going to have to do a press release a day in order to, to, to get the we lightning. Did, we got no indications side. from the conference call that that was their intention. Their language is very, very careful. They said something That's to right. the effect of we will we will implement large language models uh, incrementally into yeah. search incrementally. It was like, you know, the speeds in terms of getting to that AI holy grail on the Microsoft conference call versus the Google conference call, completely what, so, different. So one here, is like a stroll in the park and the other one's like a mad so, dash to the finish. So here's why. Microsoft doesn't actually own OpenAI. It's, it's, they've, got, they've got equity in OpenAI and OpenAI talks about itself as though it's a not-for-profit, which is hilarious. They have a profit-generating arm under the umbrella of a not-for-profit. So there's a little bit labyrinthine in, in terms of like Microsoft's approach. To, Google actually owns it, and you could argue has to live with the consequences of, you know, clearly these two companies are in a race to destroy humanity. So it's just a question of who gets there first. But so that is, I think, the hesitance on the part of Google to just be like, you know what, actually, we're going to blow it out. We're going to be the biggest AI player in the world. They could do that. Mm -hmm. They're just not doing that. And I think that's written in the share price today. I don't own Alphabet. Yeah. I guess I'll ask the question to Josh. The reason that there's a valuation discount between Microsoft and Alphabet, it is because there's more of a sensitivity to the macroeconomic environment yes. on yeah. the part of Alphabet. It's a digital advertising 100%. business. 100%. I mean, it's so, our largest you know, to, to Melissa's point, which I think is a great point, if Microsoft didn't report today, where would Alphabet be? But also, I think you have to incorporate, there's so much uncertainty regarding the macro environment. If you're making that decision between these two mega cap technology names, you might be more inclined to move away from the absence of clarity with the macro. To your point, yeah. YouTube was soft. Right. Uh, but, I don't, but I don't not think we liked, soft not terrible, but we didn't like, you know, we didn't like seeing that. Um, search was solid. Search has been solid. Uh, but you're, you're right. And now they're doing something new. For the first time ever, they're breaking out the money they're spending on AI from that whole other bets category. So they were just kitchen sinking everything into other bets. They told us uh, they lost $3.3 in the AI segment in just the first quarter of this year. I don't know why Wall Street's not applauding that. I think, I think we yeah. want them to spend there. Um, the other problem with Google, they said they saved $2.6 billion in costs from some of the layoffs and some of the downsizing mm -hmm. they've been doing. Not enough. Um, the 12,000 layoffs, a lot of that's not going to hit until this quarter. So maybe they'll get the plaudits for that that Meta has gotten, that other companies have gotten. But that, that wasn't Q1. That's a Q2 story, that kind of expense uh, that's that expense reduction that everyone on Wall Street wants to see. Their language and talking about the future is also very cautious. They said yeah. we see great uncertainty. And so we, we've got Meta coming out tonight after the bell. And you would think that it, this would be a direct read through between Microsoft AI and Google, what they're saying about advertising. Um, the reaction Meta shares say we have a stronger gain here than than we're seeing in, in Alphabet. Jenny, does that make sense to you? Not really. And we actually trimmed our position in Meta first on March 29th and then again last week for exactly this reason, saying like, hey, a lot of the upside we think has been priced in. We think that that whole cost cutting re-rating has in large part, pay, large part played out that things up, I don't know, what, 100 plus, 200 percent, almost 100 percent um, since last November when nobody, thank you, thank you for having me back, um, when no one wanted to own it. And so we think that a lot of the excitement is already incorporated in those shares and, and, and trimmed it. I think the expectations going into tonight are so robust that it's going to be hard to 
it's are they are they though well I, I, are they I think they're robust based on mm -hmm. stock price because if they hit the consensus 202 which is, a share yeah, 26 down, to 28 billion down. in revenue that would be negative two percent year over year is that a robust expectation no, I, I mean, I, I think you own Meta. I mean, we've owned Meta. We've and, trimmed it. Mm -hmm. um, we haven't trimmed it. We've let it run. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we think there's more to go because everything so far has been about costs and about cutting. And finally, there's a little bit of excitement about perhaps they're picking up momentum on reels and Instagram is held in there and you're, you're looking at perhaps digital advertising that's coming back slightly. The fourth quarter, I think, was the worst at Google. Uh, the search numbers looked that way. So if that's true with Meta, you should start to see a little bit of revenue acceleration. It's not going to be big, but they can point to something over the next couple of quarters. And that will move the stock higher because the people who have owned it have been there because of restructuring and activists and the headcount uh, reductions because and anything. Right. The reason the, they're so the focused on that side. is there's nothing else to talk about. Yeah, but now they're amazing. Five quarters of declining revenue growth. Tonight might be the sixth. Three quarters straight of falling gross margins. Like, what else would you talk about besides well, what they could, what they could talk about tonight, Stock which would uh, no, but they'll fumble the momentum if they do this. Do they go back and start talking about the metaverse oh, once no. again? I hope do they, but do they, 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 they feel comforted? It's a better chance of such a price recovery, <laughs> right? There's been they such a should have done that. There's been that price recovery. It's been so strong. Does management say, okay, we can start talking about the metaverse? Yeah. Helmets together. on, everyone. Praying not. No, I think they learned their lesson. But this this debate is the reason we trimmed it and didn't sell it, right? Because you want to have your cake and eat it, eat it too. I think expectations might be a little high. I want to put some of the cash in my pocket. I'm still completely on board with your thesis, Carrie, which is why we're still holding a position. So we're looking at a NASDAQ 100. I mean, basically, between Microsoft and Mouth, but mostly Microsoft, it's given the green light to technology overall. So do you buy into that narrative? We still got Apple on deck next week. We still have Amazon to report. We've got Meta after that. I mean, we've got a big slog left to go, and yet we're seeing everything on fire today. Josh. More worried about Amazon than Meta, and I'm long Amazon. Uh, I don't really know what Wall Street wants narrative-wise. Do they want more of the cost-cutting, reducing headcount thing? Because Amazon has done some of that, but for context, laying off 20,000 people even with a, a 1.5 million person workforce is not quite what Meta has done. So is that what the street is looking for? I'm not 100% sure what we're going to see there. Um, so I'm actually more concerned with how that one goes than the ones In tonight. terms of the stock setup and the reaction to what they report. Yeah, and this stock has not done what Microsoft has done going into the print. Right. Uh, it, is, it is far below its high. Uh, I think the, the high print from 21 was like 150 or something. So this stock has, it's not as though this is a stock that has already moved in advance. So maybe that's the, the silver lining. To your point before, had Alphabet not reported, uh, Microsoft not reported, and Alphabet alone had reported, generally the first Tuesday of the week in which technology begins to report, you don't hear from Microsoft and Alphabet. So what did we hear from last night? You heard from Texas Instruments. And what's interesting about that Not is good. we would be talking about sluggish chip demand. We'd be leading with that mm -hmm. today on the show yeah. if it were not for Microsoft. And I think underneath the surface, well, it's telling you a little bit something about the economic so, environment. So, I, I, so one week to the Fed decision, right? What does the Fed hear from earnings? 
Does it hear things are fine? No, they don't seem, every, every they don't seem to be hearing point, anything. They don't seem to care, but if they listen to Dow Chemical, UPS, if they listen to these companies, yeah. they're not hearing things are fine. They're hearing the slowdown that everyone right. was worried about. It's here. You know what they're hearing? Congratulations. They're hearing cross currents. They're hearing it every single turn, companies crashing. So cross currents mean what in terms we, okay, of Okay, so here's pipes? my example du jour, uh -huh. which is I'm reading about commercial real estate this morning, and you have Boston Properties who reported great numbers, right, and actually said we're going to come in at the high end of our, of our expectations for FFO for next year. At the same time, I read the Metropolitan Tower in New York, which is a big office, I guess, I don't know which one it is, has defaulted on their loan. And, you're, and so everything you hear is like that. Last week in my portfolio, I had four companies report on one day. Two exceeded expectations, two underwhelmed. It just depends on where you are. Look at Caring, who reported last night. Mm. So like, on the one hand, we're hearing really great reports from, high, from the high-end consumer, but then the Gucci brand within that was actually weak. Was that specific to Gucci? I think so, I think it might have been management. But just everywhere you turn, I mean, even within tech, Right, so when you said, so does Microsoft give you the, the pass to get back into tech? Well, which kind of tech? Microsoft tech or semi-tech? I don't know. It just depends. Well, Everywhere you turn. I, I, the the, XL, the XLK, important to point out, 50% of the names in the XLK uh, are above their 200-day moving average. So this is like real tech, not communications, not uh, mm -hmm. anything else. Um, if, you, if you think about the median return for these stocks, they just have not performed this year. The S&P looks way better than a typical tech stock. So when we're carrying on about Microsoft, which of course is important, we should, that is not what most technology companies yeah. look like. That certainly is not the tone on calls like Texas Instruments. Yeah. Let's turn back the clock one week, okay? All the Federal Reserve commentary was about a banking environment in which there was calm. There wasn't the turmoil that they mm -hmm. had to deal with in the middle of March. That's all been reversed in the last 48 hours. So I'm sorry, I think that supersedes all, and I think that adds a, a, a strong degree of complexity for the Federal Reserve and what they're gonna do next week. If they wanna hike 25 basis points, great, but they better signal that they're gonna pause as well. All right, we are getting some more breaking news on Disney that we do wanna to get to. Let's get to Julia Borson for the very latest. Julia. Melissa, well, Disney is suing Florida Governor Ron DeSantis after just this morning, Florida's oversight board that was appointed by Governor DeSantis declared that the agreement that Disney had made back in February to retain control over its theme park's tax district, that those agreements were null and void. So now Walt Disney Parks and Resorts is suing Governor DeSantis over his curtailing of Disney's autonomy. They're calling his board's action patently retaliatory, patently anti-business, and patently unconstitutional. And the media giant is looking for injunctive relief so it can continue to carry out its business plans. Now, the suit says, quote, a targeted campaign of government retaliation orchestrated at every step by Governor DeSantis as punishment for Disney's protected speech now threatens Disney's business operations, jeopardizes its economic future in the region, and violates its constitutional rights. Now, of course, Melissa, this all started back when Disney's leadership criticized Florida's so-called Don't Say Gay Bill, which banned conversations about sexual orientation in schools. Melissa? All right, Julia, thank you. Julia Borston. Uh, Jenny, you own Disney. How are you feeling about this uh, imbroglio that uh, Disney is in right now? Well, I think we need to take a step back and say, like, how much impact is it actually going to have to earnings? Legal bills are going up. It's going to be a distraction. That being said, it may not have any significant impact on earnings. But what I think, which is just, it's just kind of like a sad state of where we are in the world. And I think it's Disney's only choice. They have to fight back and say enough. Um, so so that's, that's, you know, the 
push and pull between the societal and the personal response and then the cold, hard capitalist investor perspective, which is just I don't think it has an impact to earnings. Yeah. All right. Still ahead on halftime, we are following the latest developments on First Republic. Shares taking another nosedive as we speak. We're going to break down that fallout. Uh, right now, down 20%. Plus, a bearish call on one financial services stock. We've got ownership on this desk. The trade next on Halftime. Welcome back to Halftime. We are following new developments on First Republic. Shares hitting another all-time low. CNBC has learned that advisors for the battered lender are now trying to persuade the big money center banks to come to the rescue once again. The plan is for the big banks to purchase First Republic bonds above market value at a small loss in order to avoid a much bigger potential loss in the event First Republic fails and regulators have to step in. Additionally, sources telling our own David Faber this morning that government officials are currently unwilling to intervene in the First Republic rescue process. The stock is down 20 percent uh, today. We were just discussing what could happen to this bank. It feels like it's a... I don't know what the options are here. I think there's, I think there's two. My, just my uh-huh. purse. In my, in my, I don't know anything more than what you just reported. I think either the FDIC decides enough is enough, this is insolvent, and they, and they uh, come in and, and resolve it, or it's a zombie, and maybe they can sell stock, maybe they can sell bonds, maybe there's institutional deposits that keep it alive long enough to pay everyone back that they own. But the problem for equity investors in this thing is, even if it survives as a zombie, the amount of interest expense this company will enjoy, let's, let's phrase it, for the next three years, five years, is such that like, there are no profits in sight. So like, if you're on the equity side of this investment, that's why it looks like it looks today. Wait, and, so just to back up a little bit. So in yeah. order to keep whatever money they have, in order to remain a zombie bank and keep walking lifelessly into the future, um, it has to pay more on its deposits. Well, they can't. So shrinking the balance right. sheet would be nice. Sure. And, and, but that's not an option no, when you're yeah. underwater in, in all of the securities and loans. So put, take that off the table. So if you could sell enough stock, if you could sell enough bonds uh, to, to re-equitize, so to speak, I mean, is that is that the best case scenario here? Is that the most likely? I don't know. Nobody knows. And that's why it trades the way it trades. Jenny, I think the more interesting thing here is to say, like, does it matter? Why do we care? Right. And it's a little bit. I was going to say KRE is doing fine today. Right. Care because there are (laughs) thousands of other banks that are not quite this big, but are meaningful to people. It is so unique that the First Republic situation is so unique to First Republic. Now it is. It is. If, if Josh, it sparks fears over something else, then it's not that. that unique. I think we're past that. And, I hope and so you're I right. think you can look at PacWest, for example. So immediately in the aftermath of Silicon Valley Bank, what plunged? First Republic, PacWest, yeah. right? They, and that Western Alliance. And what do you see now? You see, you see um, PacWest report, right? And they actually have a billion dollars inflows. And what's interesting here too, when we're saying like, what you know, what do we need nowadays? We need really great management. And in the immediate aftermath of Silicon Valley Bank, what did PacWest do? They start immediately emailing out to invest to all investors, anyone on their thing, saying like, here's where our deposits are. Here's where our deposits are. Every week they were emailing that out. Yeah. And so they not only saw stabilization, but they've actually seen inflows. And so I look at First Republic, and I'm like. 
I don't really care about that. I don't think it's meaningful to my investment process. It's noise in the background. I don't think it's contagious. I think it's really unique. If it goes Respectfully, away. Respectfully, these other regional banks that have bounced, they could start rolling in an hour. I don't think you're right. Because so, immediately when you after. you talk about other regional banks yeah, that have bounced that, but can roll over, what, what size banks are we talking? Because th- there's two, a couple of classes of regional banks. There's super regionals, which are doing just fine, which we've seen through the results. And then Agreed. there are the smaller ones. And a lot of the smaller ones, they don't have deposits above 250000 They don't have deposits above FDIC insurance. Right. So what what is the concern here the really concern is, the concern is not insolvency among regional the concern is how do they attract the next dollar nobody knows easy, easy. what do you mean easy not it's easy so until easy. the fed gets easy no i'm going to tell you exactly why it's easy because look around they all have put out cds with like huge interest rates. And they always have. I mean, New York Community Bank, which I've owned forever, that was their thing on attracting deposits forever and ever. My clients would call me and say like, oh, I can keep my money at Fidelity or Schwab with 20 basis points. But they're losing money on those. Ah, they're not necessarily well, losing money, are. right? I, and they're I, holding on to deposits. They're still making a spread. And they're whole, and, I don't know about that. I mean, this so, will get us into Schwab in a minute, but they're still making a spread. They're yeah. holding on to the deposits. Those rates are just to about this conversation, the KRE is up 2% today. Right. It on is. a day where FRC is doing horribly but on day of, two. But a lot, of, what that does is, this mean a lot of that is because of the super regionals, okay? Right. What we have mm-hmm. not it, done is we have not eliminated the potential problem for deposit outflows. We have not had a resolution to that. Now you have $30 billion worth of capital from the big banks, JP Morgan, Bank of America, Wells, we know who they are. So I agree with Josh on the equity. The equity is something with First Republic I would not touch. I think collectively, when you look at regional banks, you have to ask yourself the question, why assume the risk right now? You also have to look at regional banks and say to yourself, If you're a regional bank, do you want to be publicly traded? I would rather be privately traded as a regional bank right now because the risk that you run into is that you will have the equity run that you're seeing in a lot of these names. And that is going to actually bring forth the outcome for you just from active selling within the market. Yeah, the lack of confidence in, in the market can feed on itself. And that's like, it's not a new risk. This has always been the risk in in the financial sector. Um, But everything is sped up these days. And social media amplifies things that are not a big story can become a big story. And I think that's being reflected in the way these stocks have acted. So let's get to Schwab, because I know some of you guys own Schwab, and we're seeing a lot of the pressures on Schwab, which may or may not be rightful in terms of putting putting them on. Call of the day here, B of A, um, Bank of America, out with a bearish note on Charles Schwab, the firm lowering its price target on the stock, reiterating an underperform rating. The analysts are concerned about Schwab's deposit growth, expects the company to cut guidance in the coming months. Carrie, you own it? Yeah, I, I own it. And... They're a little late to the party if they want yeah. to get yeah. in on the stock going down. I mean, it's down 30 plus percent so far this year. And in fact, they had an inflow of assets from the time of the banking crisis starting in the middle of March to the present. And they've talked about that publicly twice now. Um, Schwab is not in the business of having lots of depositors with over 250,000 um, in, in their accounts, they're much less. It's a brokerage firm. It does asset management. It has a very different profile than a company like First Republic. It's selling for 10 times earnings next year's earnings. Now, of course, if there were no earnings and, you know, you could say it's an expensive stock, but it isn't. I mean, it is not in the same category. Uh, and it's been, uh, for some reason, uh, bundled in. Well, here's, here's the reason. Nobody thinks, and you own it. Nobody thinks, Schwab's, right? nobody thinks Schwab's in trouble in the way that the other regional banks that got into trouble were. The problem with Schwab is a lot of the money they've been making 
especially in the free, tra you know, no commission trading era, has been sweeping money into uh, into money markets that are not a great deal for the consumer sometimes, but are a great deal for the house. And once rates went to five percent, all of a sudden, people all over the country said, "Wait a minute, I'm not getting." Five percent. What am I getting? And that affects. It's not a Schwab story. It's all of That's it. a story for, for every everyone. publicly traded financial company: yeah. the fintechs, the regionals, yeah. the thrifts. You name it. So that's just a different environment that we're in now, where people are paying more attention to that. And if that's the source of a lot of your profit, that's why you get a stock price uh, re-rating downward. And it's already happened, though. I mean, the stock has re-rated downward, and it just feels to me as if this is a late call. But let's talk about that spread again. They're still making a ton of money. And so we're getting, I'm sure we're all having our clients ask us every day, you know, hey, I've got cash here. Should I move it to Schwab? Should I move it to Fidelity? Even their highest yielding money market funds, which are based off of, what, three and six month treasuries, right? Even those, as a as an investor in snacks or swaps or whatever they have, um, you're getting, what, 4.6% right now and what's it what's the three-month treasury at for six-month treasury it's the 4.8 yeah or five I think okay so they're still making a spread on that and then if you're investing in their bond funds they're making a bigger spread on that they're still making a ton of money all right coming up the perfect stock to own in this climate that's what one of our traders is calling this name shares are moving higher on earnings the name and the trade next on half Morgan Brennan, here's your CNBC News update at this hour. The Vatican announced today that Pope Francis will allow women to vote for the first time at an upcoming meeting of bishops. The move marks a historic step in giving women more say within the Catholic Church. The Pope also increased the number of lay people who will participate in that meeting. American and Filipino forces engaged in their largest war drills today, sinking a decommissioned ship with high-precision rockets, airstrikes, artillery fire, the drill in the South China Sea comes as tensions with China continue to rise. Philippine President Ferdinand Marcos Jr. was president at the drill as it took place. And Mattel unveiled its first Barbie doll with Down syndrome. The toy company worked with the National Down Syndrome Society to create the doll and ensure it, quote, accurately represents a person with Down syndrome. The new Barbie dons multiple characteristics associated with Down syndrome, including ankle, foot orthotics, which some children in the community use. Melissa, back to you. Right, and also note, Mattel, after the, after the bell, closing bell over time. We yep. get those earnings. We'll be looking for that. Morgan, thank you, Morgan Brennan. We're following another earnings mover. Visa today beating on the top and the bottom lines. The company's CFO saying on the call last night the consumer's still in good shape. Um, Joe, you say this is the perfect stock to own right now. Well, it has a geographic diversification, mm -hmm. and that's what you want. It's transaction-oriented. Um, Cross-border volume was up 24%. This is really a way to have participation in the reopening that's occurring in the Asia-Pacific. So it's the perfect climate for Visa. It's the perfect climate for MasterCard. You're not really talking about concerns revolving uh, credit. You're really just all about volume and transactions. And it's more than just the uncertainty surrounding the macro economic environment in the U.S. that's being offset by some economic strength elsewhere. Yeah, Visa doesn't care what you spend the money on as long as you're spending the money, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, we, we own it, and it's been one of our biggest positions. 
What's interesting is that they reiterated that consumer is strong. And it's not what you've heard from some other companies who've reported. Even American Express said that they saw some weakness. Visa didn't, uh, and they, the cross-border business was yeah. excellent. So, you know, is it a different customer? I don't know. Maybe they just put a different spin on the kind they, of business they, they say. Consumer intentions are strong, right? Yeah. So consumer intentions might be aspirational. How are they funding those yeah. intentions, those purchases? Visa's not behind the scene. Right. seeing that. But even this highlights our earlier conversation about yeah. everything bumping into each other. So we don't own Visa, but we own American Express. And when I'm looking at the numbers from American Express last week, it was so interesting. They saw year-over-year goods and services up 10%, travel and entertainment up 30 Right? You see Gen Xers spending 14% more and Millennials and Gen Z 28% more. So it's just, it, everyone's spending. You know spending. what's, weird? what's it, weird? I can't understand the disconnect between Visa, both their commentary and their stock price versus Capital One, which like this, this looks like full blown recession is upon us. It's so different. They're so different. They're though. so different. But the Visa cards are issued by Capital One. That's who's on the hook for Visa's quote unquote strong consumer. It's an interesting idea. I mean, Visa is not extending credit to anybody. Capital yeah. One is most of it. Right. Sure. So it's a really weird disconnect. I don't quite understand it. Um, maybe somebody that knows the, the industry better does. but. It, it, the two things don't seem like they square with one another, yet they have to be related in some way. All right. Coming up, more on that deal drama between Microsoft and Activision Blizzard. We're breaking down the fallout next. Grade my trade. Send us your latest stock move, and the investment committee will debate it and grade it. Email us at askhalftime at cnbc.com or tweet us, hashtag grade my trade. Activision Blizzard sharply lower after UK regulators blocked its $68 billion deal with Microsoft. Activision CEO Bobby Kotick will be on Squawk Box tomorrow at 8 a.m. Eastern time. Uh, Joe, you own this through the ETF. We do. In yep. October, it was added uh, a little below $73. And now if you own the stock, what you have to do is you have to value the stock based on the fundamentals of the stock. And I think that's why the company was very quick to release their earnings. You're seeing the deal spread right now. Uh, as wide as $17.5. That's indicating that there's a very low probability that the deal gets done. Microsoft will appeal this deal. Most likely, they will lose that. They're still in the summer. Um, the European Union and the Federal Trade Commission yeah. that have to weigh in on their opinion of this case is a $3 billion breakup fee for Microsoft as well in regards to this. So I just think it falls collectively back upon uh, Activision Blizzard and what the fundamentals purely look like there. Is Microsoft better off without Activision Blizzard? Carrie, what do you think? Well, the market seems to think so. That's part of the reason it's up. Yeah, do you? Yeah, I mean, it's to be in the uh, game producing business, which is cyclical and has all of the creative content problems that being in the entertainment business is about, I, I think it's tough. And I'd rather it be sort of more They're of a. In pure Xbox book. for 20 years. Yeah, that's different. Years. I, I know, but console, that's different than creating. Console different than yeah. games. Yeah. yeah. Up next, the setup on Pioneer Natural Resources, the company reporting results after the bell. We've got ownership here on the desk. We've got the trade next on half.
Let's get to energy. Pioneer Natural Resources gearing up to report results after the bell today. Jenny, you own it, so what are you expecting? I think it's going to be really straightforward. They started the year and said, look, if oil's in the $80 range, we're going to pay out about $20 of dividends. If it's in the $60 range, we're going to pay out about $10 of dividends. If you look at the average price of oil this year, it's been about $77.5 a barrel. So I think they're going to come out and say, hey, we're going to pay you pretty close to $20 a share in dividends, which gives you nearly a 10% yield at this at this price, which is really compelling. So maybe the stock's up a little bit, or maybe people just choose to take their dividend and leave the share price as it is. But there's not a lot of complexity here. Joe, you also own it? Yeah, I think, you know, the, the challenge for energy is you could make a fundamental assertion over the long term that this is probably, of all the 11 sectors, the most compelling, bullish fundamental setup. The, the reality, though, is when you're looking at price, when you're studying trends and you're looking at technicals and momentum, there's been a breakdown. There has. And looking at energy now, um, you see the price of spot oil, which is on the retreat. It's nearly back to the level uh, for the weekend announcement surrounding OPEC. So you've got this conflicting signal between strong fundamentals, as you identify, but a significant deterioration overall trends. And what's interesting is that brings in, what do you own it for? I own it literally just to put the dividends in my pocket. I don't really care about upside. If you're a trader, if you want capital appreciation, then I think you can really say, what price does it deserve to trade at? I think it should sit here and give me cash, right. and I'm happy. Grade My Trade is uh, coming up next. Send an email to askhalftime at cnbc.com where you can tweet us. We'll be right back. Time for Grade My Trade. First up uh, for Carrie. Kenny bought PayPal at 80.53. Should he hold, sell, or buy more? Carrie? Well, Kenny, it hasn't worked yet. I'll give it a B because I think the idea is good. If you compare PayPal to Meta, and I, I think you can, it's a company selling for very low multiple, 13 times next year's earnings or less, and they've reiterated guidance for this year. Venmo is really growing and remains strong, and they've maintained their market share. So I would stay in it, but you need to be patient. All right, next one is for Joe. Uh, Joseph initiated a position in CrowdStrike on March 30th with subsequent purchases through April 5th. He believes in the sector and also owns Palo Alto. Should he add to CrowdStrike or wait for a better time? Well, I like Joseph owning CrowdStrike. It's about market share capture of, in cybersecurity. March 30th, he probably bought the stock around 130. April 5th, he probably bought the stock around 125. So he's a little bit underwater on those purchases. He also owns Palo Alto Network. So no, I wouldn't add to those positions. You already have cybersecurity exposure through CrowdStrike, through Palo Alto. And yesterday with Tenable Holdings down 22%, that's telling you that there's some headwinds ahead for these cybersecurity names. Do you not grade? You don't you don't issue grades? <laughs> B. A B. Okay. A B is so middle of the road. Right. You can't it's just so give the guy a B plus or an A. Yeah. Never... An A? Yeah. He's underwater. Why do you get an A for an he's, underwater he's a, train? He's a, he's a fan of the show. A. Everyone gets an A. I don't <laughs> no, mean, no, no. What do you mean no? I always give like F's and D's. Yeah. 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 You give F's to people that watch the show? I give them to myself too. No, anyway, well, all right, that's fair. This is a whole other show <laughs> okay. that nobody will watch. Um, let's get the one for Jenny. Uh, Kurt bought 667 shares of Advanced Auto Parts January 3rd for 149.95. 
Should he add, hold, or sell? Okay, Jenny, so, are you giving him an F? Yeah, so I'm giving us both. <laughs> I've thought about this. I'm, I'm giving us both. We're down 16%. I bought it at the same price. We're, I'm giving us both a C minus. And so I would imagine that your investment thesis was similar to mine, which is it's really undervalued. Earnings are resilient, especially in tricky economies. There's huge free cash flow, which management made a very proactive decision about a year and change ago to, to return to shareholders. But here we are down. So I'm still holding it for my investment thesis, which is intact. But I just sold it for taxable accounts just for 31 days to harvest the capital loss to offset other gains that I have, and I'll buy it back then. So anything he could do for extra credit? <laughs> he, could, he could harvest the loss and make that work for him. All right, you heard that. All right, um, let's get back to Julia Borson. We've got more news on Disney. Julia. Governor Ron DeSantis is responding to Disney filing a lawsuit against him, saying the state is, and Disney suit said the state is retaliating against the company for expressing an opinion. DeSantis's communication director just issuing a statement saying, quote, we are unaware of any legal right that a company has to operate its own government or maintain special privileges not held by other businesses in the state. Going on to say this lawsuit is yet another unfortunate example of their hope to undermine the will of the Florida governors and operate outside the bounds of the law. Melissa, of course, this is all about the special tax district, which Disney has maintained in the state of Florida, overseeing its theme parks um, for quite some time now, for decades now. And this has been um, all um, battled over following um, the, the media giant saying it disapproves of some of Florida's policies, particularly this don't, the so-called don't say gay bill. All right. Julia, thank you. Julia Borson. We've got the final trades next on Half. Josh Brown's favorite part of the show, final trades. Ooh. Jenny, kick us off. <laughs> okay, 3M. This is a trade for the truly patient. You wait out the litigation overhang and you collect a 5.8% dividend yield. Joe Terranova. Exxon Mobil, that's the way to play energy. Carrie Firestone. CarMax, the used car market is gonna pick up because people are buying new cars. No Josh. matter which tech giant wins in AI, they're buying stuff from NVIDIA, period. You had so much time left, Josh. You're complaining, you're grousing about not having enough time. I you don't like to never have enough time. Anyway, <laughs> it was fun, guys. Great to be here on Halftime. I'll see you tonight at 5 for more Fast Money. Meantime, don't go anywhere. The Exchange with Kelly Evans starts right now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report Disclaimer.